0: morning, everybody. It's great to see you all out this morning. My name is Jeff, and we're in the second week of our God on Film lesson series, and it's a lesson series, for those of you that are new, um, in which we uh, look at recently released movies as a springboard for discovering biblical truth. And so we got off to a great start last Sunday with the movie Avengers Endgame and the lesson entitled Do Over. And if you weren't able to be here last Sunday, I would encourage you, you can either listen to it audio, uh, either by picking up a CD at the Welcome Center or listening to it online. Or uh, during this lesson series, we're experimenting with video, okay? And so you can actually go up to our website and you can watch the lesson um, video-wise, uh, and, um, and we would really enjoy it if you guys would like give us feedback on what you think about it, how you felt like it came across, and you can just email, email me at jeff at goodnewsgathering.org, and we would just appreciate whatever feedback you can give. Now today's lesson is based on the movie Aladdin, and Aladdin is a kind-hearted young street rat living in the royal city of Agrabah with his faithful sidekick, his pet monkey, Abu. Other than Abu, Aladdin is alone in the world, fending for himself, eking out a meager existence on the crowded streets of the capital city. Aladdin steals to support himself, which, as you might imagine, garners the attention of angry merchants and the royal guards. Stop me! Stop me! Though he steals to survive, the wily Aladdin often shares his food with others as poor, if not poorer than himself. He is in some ways kind of an Arabian Robin Hood. A survivor who weaves his way through the narrow streets and marketplaces, outrunning and outsmarting the guards who give chase. And then one day, Aladdin meets a beautiful young woman who leads him to believe that she is the handmaiden of Princess Jasmine, the sultan's daughter. In reality, she is Princess Jasmine. Bored with her sheltered life in the palace, she is snuck out to see what life is like for the people in her father's kingdom. And what she sees are children begging and existing on scraps. And when she gives a loaf of bread to hungry children without paying for it, the chase is on. Aladdin intervenes and helps her elude the guards who really don't realize who she is. Later, aladdin sneaks into the palace in an attempt to find her only to discover that the girl he met on the street is no handmaid she's the sultan's daughter princess jasmine how did you get past the guards that was challenging You cannot just break into a palace like you own the place. If you don't have anything, you have to act like you own everything. Now, Aladdin understands the reality of his culture. He says when you don't have anything, you have to act like you own everything. But it's just an act. There's no truth to it. And the truth is, street rats don't mix with princesses. She's out of his league. She's way above his station, and he knows it. (laughs) But the grand vizier, the sultan's right-hand man, an evil man by the name of Jafar, has other plans. He's planning, actually, to overthrow the sultan, but his scheme to seize the throne can only work if he can figure out a way to possess the magic lamp that has been hidden away in the Cave of Wonders. Now, only one who fits the description of a diamond in the rough can survive the cave and obtain the lamp. Jafar is evil, so he knows he's not the diamond in the rough. But he realizes this good-hearted thief who's been snooping around the palace is. So Jafar tempts Aladdin with an offer he can't refuse. You stumbled upon an opportunity I can make you rich Rich enough to impress a princess What would I have to do? There's a cave of wonders Bring me the land Your life begins now Aladdin one, baby to hear. one far within The, diamond in the Riches power not to mention the princess what's not to like This guy has stolen for years to survive what's a little white lie for a good cause. What's a charade in exchange for the love of a beautiful princess? I mean, what can be wrong with that? Sure, he has a heart of gold, but some real gold wouldn't be bad either, if you can get your hands on it, right? Of course, Jafar intends to take the lamp from Aladdin when he emerges from the cave, but Aladdin <laughs> ends up with the lamp. And unleashes a powerful, larger than life, wise cracking, three wish granting genie. Oh, great one who summons me! I stand by my oath, loyalty to wishes three. I'm kidding. Watch this. Who's the girl? She's a princess. Oh, aren't they all? No, we have had a connection. But she has to marry a prince. Hey, can you make me a prince? There is a lot of gray area in make me a prince. I could just make you a prince. Oh, no. Right, you would be snuggled up with that dude for the rest of your life. Y'all see my palace? Be specific with your words. The deal is in the detail. Got it. Which I don't really understand, because if she already likes you, why change? I told you, she has to marry a prince. I just want to go home, man. Okay, I can do that. Back up, boy, I need some room to work. Aladdin promises the genie that if he will help him impress Jasmine, he will use his third and final wish to free the genie. The genie fulfills Aladdin's wish and he rolls into Agrabah, transformed into Prince Ali of Ababwa. It's a grand entrance, a gaudy display of wealth designed to mask the reality of who he really is. Prince Ali, fabulous he, Ali Ababwa. Show some respect, boy, genuine flat, down on one knee. Now try your best to stay calm. Brush up your Friday salon. Then come and need a spectacular go to Prince Ali, my ears, he, Ali Ababa. Strong as, as ten regular men, definitely. <laughs> he's based a Galloping horse, A hundred bad guys with swords. Who sent those goose to their lord? By Prince Ali. Fellas, he's got seven. Menagerie. <laughs> the pageantry impresses the Sultan, but Jasmine suspects the unknown prince's true identity. So he lies to her. He tells her he disguised himself as a street rat in order to observe her people. Like the Cave of Wonders said, Aladdin is a diamond in the rough. His love. For Jasmine, on the one hand, is true, but he's shrouded it in lies. His concern for others is genuine, but he helps them by stealing from others. One lie seems to lead to another. There's always a convenient justification. Aladdin fears that he will lose Jasmine if his true identity as a thief comes out. Believing he needs the genie to keep up his charade, Aladdin goes back on his promise to free the genie. In fact, at one point, Aladdin rationalizes his actions by saying, what I said was not a lie because no one got hurt. Well, really? Does the end really justify the means? Aladdin soon discovers the truth of the old saying, oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. When his web of deceit begins to unravel, Aladdin is forced to face the core of who he really is and what he has become. And in the midst of the final epic clash with the evil Jafar, with Jasmine and her dad's lives on the line, Aladdin finally remembers what matters most and the diamond begins to emerge from the rough. No more lies. No more charades. No more pretending to be something he's not. No more going back on his word. He finally tells the truth. He admits his true identity to Jasmine. He finally keeps his promise. He frees the genie with his final wish. Good Triumphs over evil in the end. And as you might expect, in the finest tradition of romantic movies, he gets to marry the girl. Okay? (laughs) Now, when you think about it, (laughs) the Cave of Wonders, I think, was on to something. It said, only one may enter here, one whose worth lies far within, the diamond in the rough. And when you think about it, Aladdin fits that bill. So many good deeds, so many admirable qualities, so many noble intentions combined with so much insecurity. His fear of not being accepted drives him to lie and deceive. His worth did indeed die far within, in part because he shrouded it with an illusion of wealth and power. And royalty. In reality, he possessed none of those things. And for most of the movie, Aladdin couldn't grasp that those things were part of the rough hiding the diamond within. You know, the more I thought about this movie, the more it occurred to me that in some way and to some degree, Aladdin is all of us. He is. Like Aladdin, we're capable of many good deeds. We possess admirable qualities, noble intentions, and yet we struggle with the reality of sin in our lives and that gnawing feeling that somehow we don't quite measure up, that in some way we are unacceptable to others if they only knew who we really are and to God because he knows exactly who we are. Now today we're going to look at one of Christ's closest followers, a man that many would describe as a diamond in the rough. Our focus verse for this lesson is coming up on the screens. We're all going to recite it together. Here we go. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Now think about what it's saying. It says now, right now, at this moment, you may be thinking that your life is more rough than diamond. And some of you may be thinking... I'm all rough. There is no diamond. But the Bible says right now, in this very moment, all glory to God. In other words, all praise and honor to God. Why? All glory to God who is able. He is capable. Through his mighty power at work within us. Not our own power not us doing it on our own, but through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. He can accomplish in us more than we can comprehend at this moment. He can fashion a diamond despite our rough. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus, because of this, he is worthy of our praise, both in the church family, the followers of Son, of his Son, and from now until eternity, forever and ever. Whew. He's able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish more then we can comprehend how cool is that. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word. And Father, it's our hope and prayer this morning that we would have open minds to hear your voice. That we would comprehend what it is you're trying to say to us. Father, this morning, help us to set aside all distractions, to concentrate and to think clearly and to understand your will and then apply it to our lives. For this is our prayer in Christ's name, amen. Now, friends, if this is your first time at Good News Gathering, you received a white sheet with holes punched on the side, and that's an outline that will help you follow along with this morning's lesson, as all the scriptures we will be covering and some fill-in-the-blanks that will help you track with the lesson. And today what we're going to do is we're going to go back for another look into the life of the Apostle Peter, a man that many would describe as a diamond in the rough, And today's story gives us some tremendous insight into this idea of the diamond and the rough in each of our lives. Scholars believe that this event actually occurred somewhere during the second, probably the early part of the second year of Jesus' three-year ministry. Peter, Andrew, his brother, and James and John, all four of them were apostles, had already been traveling with Jesus as he traveled around the country preaching and teaching and healing people. But scholars believe that this early in Jesus' ministry, he had not yet called them to full-time Christian ministry. And the 12 apostles would actually not be appointed by Jesus until sometime later in that second year of his ministry. So Peter, Andrew, James, and John were fishermen by trade. In fact, they were partners in a fishing business with James and John's dad, okay? So apparently, the setting of this story is scholars believe that they were kind of on a break from ministry, and they'd kind of gone to their separate homes, They'd returned home, these guys, to help with the family business, and some scholars believe that at this time, right before this, Jesus had actually gone on by himself to his own hometown of Nazareth, and had gone back to visit his home. And one day, Jesus shows up where the guys have been fishing, and the story goes like this. One day, as Jesus was standing by the Lake of Gennesaret, now, we're familiar with it by the the, the phrase, the Sea of Galilee, this is where... Peter, Andrew, James, and John fishing business was located. It says the people were crowding around him. Now, this is the second year of Jesus' ministry. He's extremely popular. He's established a reputation as a fabulous teacher and also a healer. And so everywhere he went, there were crowds, and they would tend to press in on him to the point that it was difficult for him to speak and to move about. It says the crowd, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Now, this is a fascinating phrase, that they were listening to the word of God, because the term that's used here in the original Greek is not a direct reference to the Old Testament. It indicates that the people were listening to Jesus speak words that came directly from God. In other words, when Jesus spoke, the people literally heard God speaking. That's the idea that you get here. He saw at the water's edge two boats. These two boats probably were the ones owned by Simon, Peter, and James and John. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, also known as Peter and ask him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Now, this was not something that was unusual for Jesus. He would do this to get some distance between himself and the crowd because they would press so tightly upon him that the people in the crowd were having difficulty hearing him unless they were standing right next to him. And so he would get in a boat, they would go just a little bit out into the water, and then he would teach from the boat and the people, larger amounts of the people could actually hear him. And it says this, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, what you have to understand is Peter's not happy about this request. okay? (laughs) Because he says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Now, fishing on the Sea of Galilee was generally done in that day and age at night. Schools of fish would come to the shallow water during the nights, making them easier to catch. The fishermen used large nets to drag behind the boats, and these things were heavy. Okay, so when you let it down into into deep water, the farther it got down, the harder it was to drag up. And during the day, what they would do is they would fish at night, but during the day, then they would clean their nets and they would dry them out so that they would last longer. And that's probably what he was doing when Jesus showed up. And what would happen is the, sh- the fish tended to migrate toward deeper water during the day, which made them harder to catch. And so these guys had worked all night and they hadn't caught a thing. So not only are they irritated and frustrated, but they're probably bone-tired. And pulling out into the deep water meant rowing out into the lake if the wind wasn't blowing, and the nets were heavy and hard to haul in. This was just a lot more work after a long and fruitless night. And why would Jesus expect him to catch anything in the middle of the day? That's not when you fish on the Sea of Galilee. Simon Peter says, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything but. Very important word. But because you say so. I'll let down the nets. I'll do it. Because you say so. I'll obey. Now, think, think about this. Here you have a career fisherman. This was his business taking fishing advice from a carpenter. Hmm. But notice Jesus said, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Jesus said, You know, if you do what I tell you to do, you're going to catch some fish here. And Peter, I, I can't even imagine he probably was struggling to believe it. But he trusted Jesus enough to obey. And it says, when they had done so, in other words, when they had rowed out into the deep water and let down the nets, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. This catch was so miraculous in the middle of the day, their nets couldn't handle the load. They'd never seen anything like this before. So they signaled their partners in the other boat, James and John, to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Can you imagine this? I mean, these... these These boats begin to take on water. Not only are fish coming in the boat as they're hauling these nets in, but water is coming in with them. And the boats begin to sink down into the water. And it says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. Now that may may seem kind of odd to you, but what scholars believe is that Jesus was actually sitting in the boat when this all was happening. And Peter, when these fish are coming over the side of the boat and they're hauling these nets up, kind of stumbles or struggles back to the back of the boat and Jesus is sitting there and Peter's like, I can't believe it. This is miraculous. And look at what he says. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, and this may strike you as odd, but he says, go away from me, Lord. You've you got to go. you gotta get, You got to get out of my boat. Why? I am a sinful man. Whew. The one who could see the depths of the sea, the one who could see a, a catch where these trained fishermen could not, could also see the depths of his mind, the depths of his heart, Every thought laid bare, every attitude brought to light, every motive exposed, every evil deed revealed. And Peter says, go away from me, Lord. I'm sinful. I'm too sinful to be in your presence. I'm too sinful to have you in my boat. And you know, you think about it, Jesus, Peter had heard Jesus teach I mean, he'd traveled with him. He'd seen him perform miracles. He'd, he'd watched him. Jesus even, he'd, he'd even seen Jesus cast demons out of people. And not too long before this, Jesus actually healed his own mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law. But in this moment, Peter glimpsed the fact that he was in the presence of God in the flesh and suddenly he felt totally exposed. Utterly aware, face to face with his own sinfulness and unworthiness. And he says, go away from me, Lord. I'm too sinful. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. I'm not deserving. I have no merit. I don't bring anything to the table. I don't measure up. I have no, I have no word. I'm no diamond. In fact, in your presence, all I am is the rough. That's it. Peter was overwhelmed by his own sinfulness, a healthy fear in the presence of Almighty God. But the truth is, friends, and this is what we got to get, Peter was no more sinful than you and me. He wasn't. Compared with Jesus, who was without sin, we are all sinful men and women who are not worthy to come into his presence. Whew. And I know, friends, that sounds hard, but as one writer put it, if there is anyone who does not feel this unworthiness, this sinfulness, then that person has not truly known Jesus. But notice what Jesus does. Does he reject Peter because of his sin? Does he condemn Peter as undeserving? No. Jesus says, don't be afraid. You see, in that moment when Peter said, go away from me, Lord, there was healthy fear. Because he was in the presence of the living God. Healthy fear because he was a sinful person. And Jesus says, don't, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Think about what he's saying here. He's saying, yes, you're a sinful man. Yeah, you're flawed. You got issues. But because you realize you're sinful, you realize you're rough, I can use you to help me fish for other people. You see reality for what it is. You know the truth about yourself and about me, and now you can be used. Now you can fish for other people. And notice the impact of this on Peter, James, and John. It says, so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Here here are these career fishermen who just had the biggest catch of their lives, and they pull up their boats on the shore, the source of their livelihood, and walk away. They walk. In that moment and for the rest of their lives, nothing else mattered. Sinful men, not diamonds rough. But Jesus still loved them and had a use for them. And friends, I think there are some truths that we can draw out of this story. The beauty of this event is that it reminds us that even though you and I are rough, even though I'm rough, I am known as I am. And you are known as you are. Think about it. Unlike Aladdin, who did everything in his power and the genie's power to hide who he really was. We are fully known. Exactly as we are. You see, there's no hiding from God. There's no keeping him at arm's length. He knows Peter was brutally honest when he said, I am a sinful man. The same is true of all of us. It doesn't matter what other people know or don't know. We know and God knows. It doesn't matter what other people see. We know and God knows. It doesn't matter how well we've learned to hide over the years those parts of us that we don't want anybody to see. We know. And God knows. the Bible says it this way in Romans 3:23, "For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. That's everyone. That's you. That's me. That's Billy Graham. That's Mother Teresa. You named the figure. It doesn't matter. Think of the best Christian you know. Guess what? They could repeat with Peter, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful woman. But here's the beauty of Christianity. Even though we are known... For who we are, God still loves us. Notice what it says there in Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were, circle these two words, still sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, God wasn't sitting up in, in heaven and saying, you know, once you guys figure it out, once you finally clean up your act, I'll send my son. Once you finally do something really good that, that, that makes me think maybe you're on the right path, then I'll send my son. No, 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 no. It says this. While you were still sinners. Christ died for us. He loved us enough to send his son even when we weren't ready to accept. Wow. That's amazing. You see, I am known as I am. And even though I am rough, I am accepted as I am. Accepted. When you think about it, Aladdin believed that Jasmine would not accept him if she knew who he really was. He believed that the reality of his life as a poor thief would cause her to reject him. And you know, many of us feel that same way about God. Peter experienced these same feelings when he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. I'm no diamond. All you're looking at here is rough. So I'm sure you won't accept me. And you know what? When Peter said, I am a sinful man, it was true. It's true of all of us. We don't deserve to be in Christ's presence. But not only does he know us for who we are, he accepts us as we are. Sins and flaws and warts and all. The Bible makes this clear when it says this in Ephesians 2. For it is by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. By grace. In other words, it's a gift given. Given through faith. Not because I cleaned up my own life. Not because I got it all together. Not because I've arrived as a Christian. It's a gift. Not from ourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works. So that no one can boast. You know, one of the things we've often said here at Good News Gathering is this. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter who you've hurt. God's grace is still available to you through faith in his Son. And when you think about it, Peter's response, go away from me, Lord, is the exact opposite of the response that Jesus wants from us. He doesn't want us to back away from us, from him because of our sins. He wants us to lean in. In fact, he wanted that so bad that he didn't stay in heaven. He came to earth seeking us. He came into the world to find us. So even though I am rough, I am known as I am, and I, ac- I am accepted as I am, and thirdly, I am redeemed despite, despite who I am. Redeemed. The Bible tells us this. This is First Peter writing much later in his life. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were, circle this word, redeemed. said it wasn't with silver or gold. You weren't bought with silver or gold from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So what is it that redeems us? It's Christ. We cannot redeem ourselves. We're not capable of doing that. And what does it mean to redeem something? That word redeem simply means to deliver from bondage by the payment of a price. Think about that for a minute. To deliver from bondage. Something is held captive. Something is a slave to something else. But there is a delivery by the payment of a price. And this is what happened for us. We were in bondage to sin. But with the precious blood of Christ, a sacrificial lamb without blemish or defect, he came to deliver us from the bondage of sin by paying the price, the penalty for our sins when he died on the cross. And when we accept him as our Savior, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, begins to live in us. The Bible tells us this. It says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Now, he's talking here specifically to Christian people, people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit begins to live in us. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is, circle these words, in you. The Holy Spirit is in those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. And we have received him from God. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? And then he says this, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. That price was the sacrifice of his son. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So does God expect us, because we have been redeemed, to live in shame and guilt, to wallow in the past? No. No. Even though I am rough I am known as I am. I'm accepted as I am. I'm redeemed despite who I am. And I am empowered to become more than I am. You think about it God knows us as we are, and He accepts us as we are, but He doesn't expect us to stay as we are. He loves us too much to allow us to stay under the bondage of sin. And so he provides power through his Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul wrote it this way. He said, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength. Circle those two words. Inner strength through his Spirit. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit, the spirit living in us. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Think about what he's saying here. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, friends, in the world of fantasy, Aladdin was the diamond in the rough. His true self, as the movie depicts it, was the diamond. His best self that finally came out at the end of the movie. But friends, in a reality of a fallen world, you and I are not the diamond. That bullet point says it this way. The diamond is not me. The diamond is not me. It is God's work in me through the power of his Holy Spirit residing in me. You see, God gives us his Holy Spirit to empower us to become what we could not become on our own. My Friends, I don't know what sin you struggle with. I think every Christian that I've ever spoken to has admitted that they have some sin that has been a struggle for them. Something that they have had difficulty overcoming. And I don't know what you struggle with, but I do know this. You have been empowered to become more than you currently are. Peter was sinful, rough. That much was true, but Christ still called him into service and he immediately dropped everything and followed him. And friends, that's the response that Christ wants out of each one of us. Not to wallow in the past, not to constantly relive past mistakes, not to constantly think that we are unworthy, even though we are. He has empowered us through his Holy Spirit to become more than we are. And friends, even though I am rough, not only am I known as I am and accepted as I am and redeemed despite who I am and empowered to become more than I am, I am refined. I am refined to become like Christ. You see, Peter didn't become a giant of the faith overnight. If you read Peter's story as it goes on through the Bible, it recounts many times when Peter stumbled, many times when he spoke before he thought, many times when he struggled to do the right thing, many times when he failed. But yet God continued to work on him and to refine him. In fact, he later wrote this. Rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in, circle this phrase, all kinds of trials. All kinds of trials. And friends, I don't know what kind of trials you're suffering with. Whether it's some private sin that plagues you Or some difficulty in life, or an addiction, or whatever. Peter says, even in the midst of it, rejoice. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He's saying here, friends, you're being refined. As you struggle, you grow. Refinement is a process that requires fire. It requires, at times, that we be under pressure. It requires, at times, that we struggle. Because it is then that the genuineness of our faith is proven. And what is the goal? The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 8, for from the very beginning God decided that those who came to him should become like his son. That is the goal for us, friends, to become like Christ. If there's one thing Peter understood as he wrote these words late in life, that's a lifelong process. It's something that will not be completed until Christ returns. But remember this. The Apostle Paul said this in Philippians 1. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this. And friends, this is really cool. Some of you really need to hang on to this verse today. Being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, God began a good work in you when you accepted his son. A good work that will continue throughout your lifetime and a good work that will continue throughout mine. And friends, if we ever feel like we're not making progress, remember that God can be trusted to finish what he started. There may be bumps in the road. There may be times when we're progressing better than others. Or there may be times when we feel like we took steps back. But God can be trusted. His Holy Spirit will empower us to grow more and more like his son. And when we get discouraged, remember that God won't give up. He won't give up on you. He will carry his work to completion. And when you feel incomplete or unfinished or distressed by the fact that you're not growing or that you're still rough, remember God's promise is to complete his work in you. He will complete his work. Friends, this morning as we close, I'd like you to take out your Connect card, if you would, please. This morning, along with the Connect card, as you came in the auditorium, you received a little baggie with a diamond in it. And along with that diamond, it's a little paper that says, not me, him and me. And friends, I, I hope and pray that this week you'll put that somewhere in your house where you'll see it. Because I hope that you'll remember that God is at work in your life. If you have trusted his son, And you've placed your faith in him. God is at work day in and day out to bring a diamond out of the rough. And this is not something that you can accomplish on your own. This is not something where you have it in you to make yourself better. This is something that God will work in you. That's why that little phrase says, not me, him and me. Because if you are trying to operate under your own power, if you are trying to work your way to God through whatever means, it will not work, friends. It never has. It never worked for Peter. And it won't for you. But God is there. His grace is there for you. And through faith, you can access the Holy Spirit that God wants to put in you. My friends, on the front side of the card, it's got just name and address, and if you're a first or second time guest, we hope and pray that you'll fill that out because we've got some stuff for you that we'd like to send to you this week. But on the back, it says there in the box on the left, I'd like information about, and there are a number of boxes there, and I just want to talk about a couple of them this morning. It could be that for some of you this morning, the Holy Spirit is not living inside you. And you're struggling because you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And friends, if that describes you and you would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Christ and to have the Holy Spirit operating in your life, please check that box. We'll set up a time to talk with you. Or perhaps this week, you've already made that commitment. You know who Jesus is and you've asked him to be the Savior of your life. And friends, if that describes you, maybe you've just never gotten around to being baptized and and we've got a baptism celebration coming up in just 3 weeks on August the 4th. And we'd love for you to be a part of it and you can check that box that says baptism. And we'll have you in to talk about what all that means. Perhaps you've already accepted Christ and You want to get to know more about Him and more about what it means to be a part of a family of faith. Because, friends, one thing we've discovered here at Good News Gathering is that in order to grow as a Christian, you need other Christians around you that you do life with and grow with and learn with. And, Father, that's why we do life groups here, Because it's a phenomenal environment for spiritual growth. And if you're not in a group now, I hope that you'll consider that. And finally this morning, one other thing I want to talk about is here at Good News Gathering, we talk about giving our lives in service to others. This is what it means to emulate Christ. Because he came to the earth to give his life for us. And when we serve others, we are mimicking what Christ did for us. And next Saturday night, we have this tremendous opportunity for all of us as a church family to serve other people here in our community. Many of you know that we've we've got next Saturday, late afternoon and evening, all set aside for what we call Hillsborough Not As Usual. It's an outreach that we do to Ward 3 in Hillsborough, which is where our church would be located if we were just a couple hundred yards up the road. But yesterday morning, a bunch of people showed up here and they distributed invitations to everybody in Ward 3. Hundreds of these things went out, asking them to come out and be a part of a carnival that we're going to put on for children next Saturday and also a part of our family movie night And we're praying that God will bring hundreds of people out next Saturday to interact with us, to allow us to serve them and hopefully share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Friends, I don't know where you're at this morning, but I do know this. God wants to bring about A diamond in whatever rough your life is right now. And it's not you. You can't do it on your own. It's Him in you. He's waiting for you, friends. Now, if anybody would like to pray after the service, I'll be right down here in the front. And you can come up and you can tell me what's going on in your life or you can just say, "Hey, Jeff, it's an unspoken prayer. I just need somebody to pray. I'll be happy to pray with you. Remember, God is bringing a diamond out of your rough. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for this opportunity that we have to read your word and to learn from Peter and from that moment in his life when he realized that he was in the presence of God in the flesh and the impact that that had on him. Father, may it impact us as well and may we, like Peter, Obey. When you call us into your service, help us to obey because we know that you are working a work in our lives that will bring a diamond out of our rough. For this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.